Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. Hi, everyone. Uh, Just before we start, it's just a note to let you know that next week's pod will be released on Tuesday because of the long bank holiday weekend. Uh, It gives you a chance to listen to it on your commute or if you want to keep it to the weekend, by all means, do so. So again, just a note, next week's pod in your feed from Tuesday. On with the show. In recent weeks, there have been reports of a potential exodus of UK companies to the US. UK corporates are apparently seeking a quotation on US exchanges to boost their valuations. But Schroeder's research suggests UK companies and their investors have in the past prospered on home markets. Notably, the UK has produced a greater share of 30 baggers. Multi-baggers are the holy grail for the stock picker. And in this show, along with my colleagues, fund manager Jean Roche and analyst James Goodman, will explain why the UK has historically been a better place to hunt these multi-baggers down, where you might find them and what they might have in common. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. So, Gene, first of all to you, um, we've heard about this exodus of UK companies uh, out of the UK to the US market. Why is it happening? I think um, companies think they will get more uh, higher value for their equity if they move to the US. Um, and possibly executives think they'll be paid more if they move to the US. Um, and I think by the time they've, you know, they have to do quite a lot to discover if the streets are actually paved with gold there. You don't sound so convinced. Um I mean, I, I was reading an article today which was saying that jobs are actually coming in the opposite direction in the tech sector because it's, uh, surprise, surprise, it's cheaper to employ software engineers in the in the UK, for example. I think also it's on a case-by-case basis. I think if a company doesn't have more than 50% of its um, sales um, or operations in the UK, in the US, sorry, it can be quite complicated. Um, and I think, um, you know, it can be quite an expensive process as well. So I think, you know, company management, you know, need to ha- have a very practical case for it. Um, you know, uh, but I think it's always something that's under consideration uh, for companies who naturally are gravitating much more towards the US and if they have a gripe about their valuation. Um, but, you know, only last week we were chatting to a company who told us there'd be no point in moving to the US because their shares are actually valued more highly than peers here in the UK, valued more highly than their US peers. Um, so, uh, you know, it's uh, it would be very much on an individual company basis. And I don't think it's something to, you know, wring hands about. The um, I think the chief exec of the LSE put it well when he said, it is what it is. <laughs> um, you know, it will be, you know, it, that's how bus- certain businesses will develop and it'll be more natural for them. Um, and then the UK, I think um, the current um, administration seems to be trying to take some steps to improve the situation and, and with some acknowledgement of that here in the UK. So, um, and it's still possible to make uh, a lot of money investing in UK equities as we'll go on to explain. Yeah, absolutely. So at the top of the show, we mentioned a term called uh, 30 bagger. Can you just explain, put a bit more meat on the bones as to what that is? 
Sure. Well, you know, it's uh, um, my colleague James Goodman's here with me today as well. And, um, you know, it's one thing that we want to do us uh, fund managers. We're looking for um, stocks that can make, um, you know, really good returns for investors um, and in our capacity, you know, and, and our own personal portfolios as well. So that's why we're all here. We want to find um, buy shares in companies um, that where the shares will go up in value. And so 30 bagger, simply put, is if you spend a pound on the shares, for example, um, and it generates £30 of value for you, it's a 30 bagger. And obviously, the faster it does that, the better. Um, yeah. So um, we have some stats here. Um, we've got, uh, it, it, if you want your 30 bag, if you're in a hurry, if you've only got 10 years, <laughs> um, you want your investment to compound at 40% per annum. Um, if you've got 20 years, which um, some listeners will have, and I'm sure in their investment horizon, um, they would be wanting an 18% return per annum over those 20 years. And then if you're looking for a 30 bagger over 30 years, you're looking at around a 12% return per annum. And that is obviously the eighth wonder of the world, which is compound maths, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, James, now I'm assuming this isn't a new idea, the idea of a 30 bagger. No, no, it's not. It's something that uh, an American fund manager called Peter Lynch wrote about in the 1980s. Um, he wrote a book in 1989 called One Up on Wall Street, uh, where he thinks the term comes from baseball, actually. So in baseball, if you score a home run, it's a four-bagger because there are four bases you go around. If you get onto second base, it's a two-bagger, for example. So he, he thinks that the, the term comes from there. Um, and he really was one of the great investors of the 20th century. He ran a, a fund called the Magellan Fund for 13 years from 1977 to 1990, which returned 29% or a bit more uh, every year for 13 years, oh, wow. which was a 28-bagger in our terms. So he's mm. very close to the 30-bagger the in a very short period of time. Oh, well, that's a hell of a return in that space of time. So um, that's it for part one, the explanation of what 30-baggers are. And in part two, we'll look at how the UK outperformed the US stock market. Get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website, shorters.com forward slash the investor download. Uh, so Peter Lynch, the American fund manager, was talking about American stocks. Are multi-baggers unique to the US? Uh, no, they're absolutely not. And, and, you know, as UK investors, we get uh, a lot of criticism thrown at us in terms of the UK economy, uh, lacking growth and innovation, the UK stock market focused on uh, old economy stocks, businesses from the 20th century. Uh, and yet as UK equity investors spending all our time looking at UK businesses, this, this couldn't be further from the truth. Um, take, for example, the FTSE 250 index, which is an, an index of mid-cap companies, about 170 of them. Uh, and by mid-cap companies, we mean those businesses that aren't quite large enough to be in the FTSE 100. So today they have market values between about £500 million to £4 billion. Uh, And so we did some work looking at the returns of that index of stocks. And in the 25 years from 1997 to 2022, uh, this group of, of UK listed businesses actually performed slightly better than the S&P 500, which is correctly you know, championed as one of the best mm. large company indexes in the world. Um, and, and so to put some numbers to that, in the 25 years to 2022, the FTSE 250 generated 7.64% per annum, whereas the S&P delivered 763 <laughs> So there's a whole one basis point in it. Tipped them at the post. Exactly. But it's important to note that those returns are in US dollars, so there's no currency um, 
impacting those returns uh, and also that dividends would need to be reinvested to earn those returns. Uh, and, and to put that in the multi-bagger jargon, both indices were were five-baggers. Um, and, and when you reflect on the US um, stock market during that period of time, you know, Amazon IPO'd in 1997 with a market value of $400 million compared to nearly a trillion today. Google and, and Facebook weren't yet founded mm-hmm. as businesses. Uh, I mean, Apple may be the most amazing one, um, uh, a market value under $2 billion compared to $2.3 trillion today. Uh, that's a 1,400 bagger. So when you think about the tailwinds that the US index has had from those huge companies, for the UK market to actually have pipped them at the post says speaks a lot to, to the quality of the companies that we have in UK mid-cap. Um, land. And I think Gene's going to talk about the, some of the digging that we've done uh, there. Yeah, thanks, James. That, that's great. We got that one basis point ahead of the <laughs> S&P 500 there. Um, yeah, well, actually, um, the work that we've done more recently was actually, as you know, inspired by your own work, uh, which was last uh, January 2022. A year can feel like a very long time sometimes. Um, but you did some work on 10 baggers. And if listeners were interested in reading that, uh, we published an article on that, which I'm sure uh, we can... Um, We'll put a link in the show notes. some links yep. too. Um, uh, so inspired by that, I, when I was asked to speak at the LSE on 30 years of the FTSE 250 index last December, I thought, hang on a minute, what's this interesting multi-bagger work that James has done? And I wonder how many... UK businesses uh, delivered 30 times their return, their um, initial investment over 30 years. So from the um, inception of the uh, FTSE 250 to when I was speaking in December 2022. So uh, we got out our Bloomberg screens and we went back to 1992. 30 years ago when uh, the FTSE 250 index was created and we screened the UK market for shares that had delivered 30 times your money. Um, and if you were paying attention earlier, that would mean 12% per annum a return over 30 years. I remember that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and of course, it has to be investable. So, you know, I think it's fair to set a minimum market value um, when we went for 150 million market cap at the end of 2022 as the uh, requirement um, and that was to sort of avoid the really small micro caps, the ones that just weren't really, were very unlikely to be tradable. Um, hopefully that's not too unfair on the micro caps, but, you know, just, just to have a reasonable chance of getting a reasonable position in the shares. Um, and the results were very interesting. Um, and, you know, I think part of what's powering that um, outperformance or at least being able to keep up with the S&P 500, and you mentioned some incredible over 100 bagger shares, James, and 1,000 bagger as well, uh, 1,400 bagger. Um, but, you know, of the um, 1,095 UK listed companies that we screened for, so with those um, requirements I mentioned, um, 59 had been uh, 30 baggers over the previous 30 years. And, you know, we had a very close look on what, what those names were um, and, you know, to make sure they were real companies, uh, <laughs> and they were. Um, but this works out to five. of the investment universe. And then we just did the exact same thing for the US. um, And that showed us that only 4.2% of the universe there had been 30 baggers. So that is the UK beating uh, the US in terms of 30 baggers. Um, So I think, you know, that was 
seen as quite surprising. And I do remember when I presented those results at the LSE last December, they generated a lot of questions. And, um, you know, I think that drove us to to go further with it and do a bit more on, you know, what exactly um, might be behind that. Yeah, uh, certainly over the last decade, a lot of the US, the strength of the US performance has been put down to these technology stocks, the likes of Facebook, etc. Does the UK have anything similar to that? Um, I don't think there's anything immediately that comes to mind in terms of how the UK can uh, compare to the US um, in terms of an Amazon lookalike, uh, you know, an Apple lookalike. Um, and, you know, if you just decided to say, well, I want more technology exposure, then, you know, I'm, I'm going to invest in the S&P 500 uh, because it has about 27% in technology compared to the FTSE 250, which only has 3%. Mm. Interestingly, the mid 250, which strips out investment trusts, has 5%, a whopping 5%. Percent exposure, <laughs> but the FTSE 100 has even less than three percent exposure actually to technology. So if you did want, um, you know, a, a, an index which was more exposed to technology in the UK, to be the mid 250 that you that you'd want to look at. Um, but I think you know um, one of the lessons of the work that we have done on 30 baggers is you don't necessarily need a hot industry, um, you know, something massively disruptive. Um, and the problem actually with disruptive technology when it starts working is that it tends to attract a lot of new capital in it, especially if it's high margin. Um, so you might have, um, you know, a unique idea to begin with, um, you know, thinking of maybe a stock like ASOS where um, there you didn't have the high margins, but you might have something that was, you know, could grow at in excess of 100% over several years. But the problem is then you get the competition coming in, you get some of the um, old economy businesses that maybe uh, start to compete back kind of ganging up on you. Um, and even Rightmove saw that with On The Market, for example. Um, but, you know, you get the capital, the talent starts coming in um, and the customer then benefits from that because the business can charge lower prices. But the shareholders might not get the rising share price um, and the rising stream of dividends that should go with that because of um, the amount of competition that's flooding in. Um, so I think you know, maybe there's a there's a an argument for saying that if you're doing something slightly less exciting, where the competition isn't rushing in um, and can't see it as you know obvious disruptive technology, just something maybe more more quiet but very reliable. Um, that is where the money is to be made. Um, but you know, not not calling UK companies boring, but maybe hmm. boring might be uh, a better thing to aim for potentially given our research. Okay. Um, so the UK doesn't have a big bulk of uh, technology stocks, but as Gene was saying there, it has its own attractions and that's what we'll be discussing in the final part of the show. James, uh, Gene was talking about there that the fact that uh, that the UK doesn't have this stable of technology stocks, but it has some solid stocks. So could you just take us through those? Yeah, no, sure. Absolutely. I think that's that's fair to say. I don't disagree with what Gene said, uh, but I would agree with uh, the terms of um, finding niches and finding um, companies that have world-class expertise within that niche. So an interesting finding from our 59 30 baggers was that around a third of them are classified as industrial stocks. Uh, this, this is a really broad um, classification. So I would 
intuitively think about it as sort of manufacturers or distributors of capital goods, but it also includes um, professional services, providers of professional services, um, and, and even companies that provide some transportation services. So it really requires going another layer deeper to unpicking what's going on there. Um, but when we look at those industrial stocks, one of the key takeaways is they have not been heavily disrupted. Um, they tend to be providing similar services today as they were in 1992 oftentimes to the same customers. Um, and I, I want to tread carefully here. I don't want to put a disservice on the management teams and the employees that work in those businesses. Clearly, they've done a terrific job in developing new products and services, investing in research and development. But but they have benefited significantly from not being disrupted and not having to fundamentally reorganize their business to address some, some new threat or disruption. Um, when we think about individual companies, Rotalk would be a great example of this. So it's maintained its position as one of the leading manufacturers of actuators, just as it was in 1992. Um, I actually opened Renishaw's 1992 annual report pre preparing for this. Uh, <laughs> you live a wild life. <laughs> absolutely. Where they were talking about a new a new um, product, which is their new Raman microscope. Uh, and that's a product they still sell today. Now, it's a much better product in 2023 than it was in 1992. But fundamentally, it's similar technology. Uh, and equally, Halma, which has been a fantastic stock to own for UK shareholders, they're still in the same safety, fire detection and security markets that they were in, in 1992. They're still running the same decentralised business model that they were employing back then today. Um, and so I think there's a lot to be said for businesses which haven't been disrupted. Um, and if you're looking for the next 30 baggers today, finding those businesses that operate in that defensible niche, that have already a track record of growth, that are taking market share, they're really good signs, I think, to be on the lookout. And Peter Lynch had a really nice way of looking at it. He said, you're looking for companies that are in the, the second or third innings of the game, again, referring to a nine innings game baseball match. Uh, and that's really what we're trying to do to trying to do today. Uh, Gene's right. Not quite as sexy as the technology stocks in America, but solid, dependable relationships that can be relied upon over time. So are there any common financial characteristics of these 30 mm. baggers? Well, I, I think sometimes we don't bang the drum enough as uh, equity uh, fund managers that equities have this unique advantage over other investments like bonds and real estate in that um, our companies can retain all or some of their um, profits and reinvest straight back into the businesses, which is much more difficult with bonds or or, um, or real estate. Uh, and that's really the key to finding multi-baggers. You're really looking for those businesses which have opportunity opportunities to invest at attractive rates for a long period of time. Uh, and I think to go back to the statistics that Gene mentioned earlier, that rule of thumb of finding a business which can invest at a 12% return, those retained profits, to generate more than a 12% return to get to your 30 bagger over 30 years is a, is a really good way of looking at it. And when we do our analysis, that's often some of the checks we're making to see what returns are being made on, on retained profits. And naturally, that leads to the, f the 59, 30 baggers that we've identified to having better returns on capital or better returns on equity than other businesses, than the average, say, business lift listed in the UK or elsewhere. Um, and, and another comment would be that you can't reinvest accounting profits, you know, that can be made up or mm. can be adjusted. <laughs> uh, you really can only invest um cash, whether you're having to pay for new people, um, buy new equipment, uh, in, invest in new facilities. So those companies that convert their profits into cash is another key thing. And then maybe one final point was around acquisitions. Um, so there's 
there's clearly good evidence that as a whole, acquisitions are, are probably better for selling shareholders and not so good for the acquiring companies, generally because people overpay when they do deals. Mm-hmm. Um, but around a third of our 59 30 baggers were serial acquirers. They were businesses that regularly acquired other businesses over the last 30 years. And, and we spent some time trying to understand exactly what was going on there. Um, and our, our lessons really from that are that these businesses have very much professionalized the acquisition process. Uh, so they've got a professional acquisition team. Uh, they've got a team which integrates those acquisitions very methodically. They tend to buy smaller businesses as well. So rather than do one big deal every five or 10 years, they're doing lots of small deals regularly. Uh, and that allows them to reflect on whether those deals have been successful and keep to quite tight valuation hurdles. So they're not tending to overpay and avoid getting into auctions with other businesses and competing to pay higher prices. Strong business management, making smaller acquisitions and just seeing how they fit and also reinvesting your um, tangible profits just seems like good business sense. But obviously, it's a lot more difficult because there's not many of those 30 baggers about. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the things that if we go back to that defensible niche or some competitive advantage, it's assessing whether the management team understand what their niche is uh, and whether they're straying away from that in the acquisitions that they're doing rather than sticking to, you know, firmly where they deserve to win and, and compete. Okay. So we're talking about these supersized returns, Jean. When do they most often occur? Um, Well, our work um, shows us that in the um, mid-cap area of the market, for example, most of the returns come from stocks in the um, lower two quartiles uh, there. So uh, that's lucky for us because we tend to have a lot of embedded knowledge within the team of uh, smaller companies coming up from um, from the uh, being held by one of our colleagues, Andy Bruff, who some listeners might might know <laughs> just a little bit. Um, and, it, you know, so we have knowledge within the team about those stocks. And, and so we're able to buy them as they come into the um, mid cap arena um, and then hold them as they travel through uh, the um, mid-250 index and then hopefully on into the FTSE 100 where we then would look for the next investing opportunity. And that's part of our um, investing discipline, actually. Um, and that's borne out by by our research, luckily, that you know a lot, most of our returns have been found when we've bought right down in those bottom two quartiles and indeed, you know, stocks coming out of the, uh, you know, just on the cusp of small cap moving into mid-250. That can be a very interesting place for us to look. I mean, we discussed so far about the UK being a good base for companies that actually do want to get valuations ramped up. And we talked about 30 bags. We've got to deal with this slight elephant in the room. The UK market of mid caps haven't performed that well over the last three, three or four years. Can you explain why that might be and why it might be different going forward? Um, well, I think um, it's important to break it down into large, um, mid and small caps as well. Um, but as a whole, actually, the UK was the best uh, performing market in the world last year. Mm. Um, but yes, UK uh, mid caps in particular had a very tough year last year. Uh, we did open by explaining that over 25 years, the, uh, we've had a pretty spectacular mm. time from the FTSE 250 in particular, uh, more than uh, keeping up with the S&P 500. Uh, but if we just look at, you know, we have to address, like you say, um, a you know, 2022 was um, a dramatic year for UK mid-caps, down about 30%. And what we did was we looked at um, when this has happened in the past, when UK mid-caps have underperformed um, the FTSE 100 by um, 
a similar amount to how, how much they underperformed last year. What happens next? You know, what can we expect to happen? Um, and very happily, um, the statistics show that UK midcaps outperform significantly in the three to five years after an underperformance. Uh, that they mm. like the one they had last year. Um, so that gives us a lot of hope. Um, and in the meantime, I think, you know, we have many examples of you know, clever t- uh, management teams, you know, handed over to various, uh, you know, management teams change, but constantly exercising strategy in a, in a solid way, um, reinvesting cash um, cleverly. Um, and really sticking to their knitting and realizing what they're good at and maybe not getting carried away with with fads or um, and cleverly using the new technology as it does come along as well. Given how difficult the world is at the moment, it's always nice to finish on an opti- optimistic note. Jean, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And James as well. Cheers for that. Pleasure. Thank you. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Schroder's Podcast at Schroder's.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation, or recommendation of any funds, services, or products, or to adopt any investment strategy. 